Oh, I'm so excited. The doors are parting. We're entering the Sheridan verse. Oh, it's a bear. There are a lot of bears in the Sheridan verse. Some of them are nice bears and some of them perhaps not so nice. Uh, many other things besides bears. Also, for example, steers. Uh, and we <laughs> I'm not selling this at all, am I? So let me just back up and say uh, Tyler Sheridan is a an auteur. He is an actor, writer, director. He is extraordinarily good at getting Viacom or somebody to give him a lot of money to put together um, these epic stories that are kind of profoundly American, but maybe American in a way that some people will find a little bit rattling or disturbing. Um, he has created five TV series, Yellowstone, Mayor of Kingstown, 1883, Tulsa, is it Tulsa King or Tulsa Crime? Well, whatever it is, that's dropping with Stallone on Sunday night, uh, 1923, which is coming very soon, and we'll have Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren in it. There's actually more of them. There's like something called 6666, which is another Yellowstone offshoot. Uh, and that's in the pipeline somewhere, and I don't know. There's a Billy Bob Thornton thing where he's a crisis. I don't know. It doesn't make any difference. There's just like a lot of things. Just take my word for it. Uh, Yellowstone in particular is the highest uh, rated, most watched scripted TV show. It's basically the highest rated show of the 2021-2022 season that is not a football game. Um, it has um, more than 11 million viewers. Uh, and so that's really pretty amazing. Um, so, but, but it's also kind of not – all of this stuff is a little bit different from what we typically look at on the nose, if there is a typical thing. And we recruited a very brave panel to spend a lot of time. <laughs> we gave them extra time uh, to watch as much of the Sheridan verse as they possibly could. Rebecca Castellani is the uh, co-founder of Quiet Corner Communications and a freelance writer. Jim Chapdelaine is Emmy-winning uh, musician and patient advocate for people with rare cancers. And Tanisha Dugan uh, is, by the way, Jim, I think, has a, a small role in uh, season five of Yellowstone. Country, <laughs> country singers get a lot of work in here, you know. I mean, anyway, uh, Tanisha Dugan is an associate producer at Octopus Theatricals. So we're going to begin with Yellowstone. Yellowstone is kind of the mothership of the Sheridan verse. Uh, and uh, it stars Kevin Costner uh, and a lot of other people who I will get around to mentioning in just a second. Kevin Costner is the paterfamilias uh, of this uh, sprawling ranch in Montana, abutting uh, the national park. Uh, and he is a he is basically a fairly ruthless guy with both his business opponents and his family. Um, there's some kind of soft, creamy center. Uh, inside him, which we keep getting very close to, and then he like will brand somebody, like somebody he knows pretty well. So, um, <laughs> no, I think he only branded his son, right? I think the other branding is done by Riff. Anyway, uh, here's a little bit of uh, of John Dutton, the character played by Kevin Costner. He's uh, doing kind of an invocation at a cattleman's dinner. A one cat. Since 1886, every Dutton who died is buried 300 yards from my back porch. From my great-great-grandfather to my wife and my oldest son, when a tree grows on my ranch, I know exactly what fed it. And that's the best we can hope for because nothing we do is for today. Ranching is the only business where the goal is to break even, survive another season, last long enough for your children to continue the cycle and maybe, just maybe, the land is still theirs when a tree sprouts from you. 
Lord God, Lord God, give us rain and a little luck and we'll do the rest. Amen. All right, like so much in the Sheridan verse, that actually calls back to 1883, which is the series that actually came after the beginning of Yellowstone, but goes back and kind of sets up uh, how the Duttons got to the land that they're still on. So I'm prattled enough here. I want to hear a, a lot from our panel about the experience of watching it. But my favorite thing that was shared, I think, among us the whole time, and everybody had really cool stuff to say. But Tanisha, you got to tell us the story of how watching the Dutton family became kind of a family experience for you. It, it was, and I, you know, I think it's, it's both bittersweet and hilarious, but it seems, I I don't want to spoil, but uh, Daddy Dutton is going through some stuff which felt very parallel to my family story. Uh, and so that, I think, ultimately was the hook as I sat back and sort of thought about it a bit. But also, I come from a family that's just a little rough to each other. And so I think, like, we kind of felt seen in watching this family just kind of be, like, you know, brutally honest. And I think, you know, as I was listening to or reading our emails back and forth, I was like, oh, this probably feels really, like, gross and and sort of, like, unloving. And yet all I can see is, like, how much their mother loved Beth. You know, all I can see is how much, uh, I always want to just call him Kevin Costner, but uh, John Rancher Dutton really loves this family and is trying to like put his kids into these situations where they can win for him, but I think for the legacy of the family. And so for us, it was, it was really an icebreaker show watch. My mom and I hadn't watched (laughs) a show together in, three years. And so we watched Yellowstone, most of it uh, together, which was, which was a really great um, thing all these years later. Right. I think all, I love that, that way of putting it. I think all families are to some degree, degree or another rough with one another. In fact, Jim Chaplin, whenever you take off your shirt and the big C brand is there on your <laughs> chest, you know, which I wish you would stop taking your shirt off quite so often, but um, particularly when we're in a restaurant. But uh, there's a way in which I think, you know, we probably can recognize a little bit of ourselves uh, in this. There's enough going on. Jim, there's a lot of plot in Yellowstone. One thing, if you're plot hungry, uh, you know, watch Yellowstone. You won't have to wait more than five minutes before somebody punches somebody or or shoots at somebody. <laughs> you, don't, you, know, you don't ever really feel bored anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, first of all, the brand, um, I show it off because I'm doing Pilates now. And, uh, and I feel like people should know that. Yeah. So um, when you think about these uh, – these characters, I, Yellowstone was the first one I watched. And if I could do my own prequel um, called uh, 11-4-22, uh, you may recall that last week I was ready to do this very show <laughs> last Friday. <laughs> so I had, I had really binge watched a ton of this stuff. And I thought I was like really current and stuff. And, and I you know, emailed you and Jonathan at about noon or something. Said, "Hey, I'm not getting many emails. <laughs> Don't worry, you will." Um, and Colin, I, I explained that I had a, a tight deadline and I had raw sewage in my basement. To which Colin replied, "Oh, I didn't know you did the, the raw sewage basement tapes." Um, 
So that put me right in the Yellowstone frame of mind. Uh, so I had a chance to watch a lot of this, uh, probably a lot more than you, you took. You did. took all that Sudafed for nothing. I know, <laughs> and, and it was accompanied by like raw sewage. So so a lot of it resonated with me. Um, Yellowstone is my my least favorite of the three things we're going to talk about. But I will say that. Uh, just when you're going to fall in love with somebody, just when you think like, this is the character that I want to identify with. Um, I don't have the same daddy thing going that Tanisha does. And I love her take on it that we're all a little rough with each other. Uh, just when you're ready, like, okay, this guy's cool. Or this woman's cool. They shoot someone <laughs> and, and then they bury the body where it can't be found or dissolve it somewhere or, or put like metal in a microwave. And I think ranching is so different than what I imagined it to be. It's really more um, like the music business than you had imagined. It's much more like that where, where forks in a microwave is very common in the boardroom. So, so I, I mean, I'm a little bit taken aback by the fact that apparently ranching involves a lot of murder and a lot of disposing of bodies. Well, you and, can't be a big snowflake about sh people shooting one another. I mean, that's, that's true. No, that's true. And that speaks to maybe the demographic that we're all the various demographics that, that we represent here. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's enjoyable. It's like I said, my email to me, uh, this one is a mashup of, bonanza because all the men are the same age yet one is the father um and the sopranos uh because they're basically like tony soprano runs a ranch and maybe the beverly hillbillies if they murdered people um so it has and plus primetime like dallas drama yeah that was going to be season seven uh, yeah, of, the, of the Beverly Hillbillies, by the way. They were going to start right, right. They were going to kill right. the Drysdales right away. I don't know if you saw the Easter egg with Judd Clampett's reference, yeah. but you'll, you'll see it. I think it's a later episode. Tim McGraw sings about it. So, I mean, it, it is, it is, we're going to get all these plot lines confused with all the other plot lines and the other plot lines because the Sheridan verse is enormous right now. Um, it's, it was a little difficult for me coming from uh, Hell or High Water, which I loved. I think I came out of the theater and texted you like, oh, my God, you got to talk about this movie, to uh, Wind River, which I also loved. I, I feel like he does better with a shorter arc, and uh, maybe I'm wrong because most of America would disagree with me. But, yeah, I, uh, I should have pointed out that he wrote Hell or, hey, Wa Hell or High Water, and he directed uh, Wind River, which is actually also a pretty good movie, and Those Who Wish Me Dead, which is not a good movie. Um, right. So, um, so, yeah, Rebecca, I don't know. You and I, despite our, the vast differences in our age, we often have kind of similar takes uh, uh, about stuff like this, and I think we both feel that this could be a lot better. You know, it's not that it's horrible, but you can just look at so many things here and think, ah, oh, like maybe T Taylor Sheridan just writes and directs too many things. Maybe if he just slowed down and mm. took an extra year and a half, you uh -huh. know, uh, you know, I feel like Rebecca, maybe he'd get to some of the things we hope he would get to. Yeah, I think that's a really fair comment. I, I do feel that it's there's so much that's getting packed in here that I get whiplash, especially with Yellowstone. Like, where am I supposed to be looking? Who am I supposed to be following? I, I get a, like, very confused with all the different plots. I mean, there is just plot for days. You said it at the head of the episode, but like, oh my gosh, you just get exhausted. I feel like I need a vacation after doing this show. And I think part of that issue is that I really struggle with Yellowstone in particular 
with where my allegiance is supposed to be. Like, am I supposed, is the show want me to root for the Duttons or is it like a succession kind of show where you look at these characters and you're like, wow, they're just like miserable victims of their privilege. They're terrible. You love to hate them. Is it that, or is it we're setting them up as this ideal gritty family? They'll do anything for each other. Look how far they've come circle the wagons quite literally. Like I, I really struggle tonally with where I'm supposed to land on that. And I wonder for the vast majority of people who are watching the show, do they see the Duttons as anti-heroes or do they see them as this like bygone make America great again? I, I really don't have an answer to that. I feel very sort of unmoored by like That's what I'm supposed to That's a catchy phrase. Yeah, you know? That's right. To put it on a hat. So yeah, right. I think this is something we will have to- though, yeah, Go ahead, right? go ahead, Tanisha. I, yeah. I think that's why I love it is that like life is an endless mm. array of a thousand plots of everyone's lives you either get involved or you don't and things are never people are never what they seem you know at first glance or 20 years later they're still evolving in front of you i think that's the thing that i respond to it mm. you know is that like it's it's not trying to give me a perfect story that i'm going to follow to the end of however many seasons and go oh he 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 took the land or or <laughs> oh you know the native americans finally got their you know their best or oh capitalism is 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 the devil that we always knew it was you know it's all just complicated and messy and full and divergent uh and i th- i think that's why i love it and for me it is hands down my favorite of the three wow i can't wait to hear y'all talk about mayor of youngstown <laughs> Last one to me is can only be loved by people like you. I think I don't know. Hey, I'm, 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 I'm trying to be open to, I'm trying that, to be open I, to find I think out. That was our that was our first murder. Yeah, on the nose. That's right. Yeah. I, I figured I had to. I had to come with a shiv or a you know. Right. Or right. A That's right. Jim and Rebecca are dead right now. Rip is actually disposing of their bodies. I know. Um, right. So Rip should dispose of my body any day. <laughs> Okay. No, and speaking of and speaking of like age dysmorphia, I love you, Jim, but I'm not seeing all of those men as the same age on any level. Mm. But I also realized my father never wanted me to be a, a mom, and he could never see himself as a grandmother because he kind of always saw us, you know, as we got to be adults, as in the same category of age, which is like not really true either. So you know, I want to just like hedge. You can, you're, you know, I mean, you can. You're drawing attention to it again. Second murder <laughs> of the show. Uh, so I feel like there's going to be a fight in the yard, and, and I'm going to lose. But I'm going to go. I'm no, we got a hard. we got a guy in the tower, Jim. Don't worry, we got a guy right. in the tower. And that doesn't seem to help. No. Um, <laughs> so, so I I think sure yeah I mean there is a, a AC. I mean that's the reason I brought up Bonanza because like Lauren Green was basically the same age as his son. I think Pernell Roberts was older. I'm not sure, but uh, it, I don't. There's something a little disbelievable that, uh, for example, Beth, his daughter, uh, is more like you know, I don't know, second wife material. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> All right, so uh, we, we should probably pause for just oh, a second here. I, I think I need to set up some of <laughs> this on, up a little go. bit more, particularly 
particularly for people who haven't watched this. So, yes, this is the story uh, of John Dutton. He has three living, well, he actually starts out the series with four uh, living children. He has three for most of the time. Uh, Jamie, who's uh, played by Wes Bentley, you might remember him way back from American Beauty, uh, is a lawyer and aspiring attorney general. His daughter, Beth, is this ruined mess of a person um, who is, I don't know, she's some kind of like corporate raider or something. I can't really exactly figure out what her job is. She messes up other people's businesses. I think that's literally what her job is. <laughs> and uh, other people. And other people, too. Uh, and uh, then, uh, who am I? Oh, <laughs> then Casey. Casey, who has married uh, a Native American woman uh, and is living on the reservation with her and is various, he's a former uh, Navy uh, vet uh, from Afghanistan, out of, I think it's Afghanistan, uh, and has some pretty bad PTSD, I think, from that. Uh, and nobody gets along with anybody else. And if they get along for more than 10 minutes, one of them punches the other one. But um, there's also a lot of other subplots going on, a lot of other characters. And so uh, I want to call attention to, I think, sort of the, the initial main adversary. He has many adversaries, does John Dutton, but one of them is Chief Rainwater, uh, he is played by Gil Birmingham. Thomas Rainwater is the leader of, of uh, a local tribe with a casino and big, big, big aspirations. Uh, Birmingham would like to take Dutton down, would like to actually buy back pretty much all the land that Native Americans lost from the white man. But he's also trying to keep things going on his own reservation. And I, I'm, we're playing this clip, uh, and I'm going to go to you, Rebecca. I, I think, I mean, I have some problems with Taylor Sheridan, but I really do enjoy well-written dialogue, just the spoken word. And the spoken word, you heard it a little bit in that invocation that uh, John Dutton, and Kevin Costner said that we played before. Here's um, Thomas Rainwater talking to a kid uh, from his reservation who is really screwed up and, and maybe in, in a heck of a lot of trouble, A2 cat. Am I going to jail? I don't know. I didn't mean to do it. That's the inmate's motto. How about you scream something else? You can't let killing her be your contribution to this life. Say that. I won't let it. If she dies, we gotta charge you. There's no way around it. But if she lives, you get one chance. And that's your last chance. There's only two roads in this life. One's wide as a highway, full of choices. The other one's pencil thin, with only two directions. You're on the skinny road right now. Be very careful where you put your feet. So, Rebecca, this is also from Episode 7. Episode 7 also uh, contains what I thought was a pretty remarkable conversation between Gretchen Maul, who plays John Dutton's wife, years, years in the past when uh, his daughter was just first getting her period. And the, also a, sort of a remarkable kind of back and forth and what what, uh, what the wife thinks, the mom thinks that she's going to have to do for Beth. But I don't know. Uh, Rebecca, I'm a, I'm a sucker for what feels like good spoken word. I feel like there's a lot of it here, whatever my other reservations might be. Yeah, I agree. I think that there's some really beautiful turns of phrase. And I think that, I mean, Gil Birmingham is just amazing. I love him in everything he's in. And he can just, you know, read anything in such a beautiful, layered way. But I, I think across, I mean, I don't know, I hesitate with Mare because Mare is pretty bad. Um, but with 1883 and Yellowstone in particular, I do feel like it has this almost lyric quality to the dialogue that really does draw you in. I sometimes felt like somebody was 
telling me a story or if I could close my eyes, I still knew what was going on, even though the cinematography in all of these shows is beautiful and you don't want to close your eyes. I feel it could almost function as an audiobook in some ways because it is very descriptive, very, uh, very beautiful writing. And I, I, it confuses me a little bit because I think you and I felt the same way about this, that some of the characterization was pretty weak, but I don't really know what to blame that on because the writing is great. And I think the acting is also across the board pretty strong. So I don't know if it's just like a matter of not fleshing it out enough. I know Tanisha completely disagrees on this with some of the characters, but I think that the writing is really not the culprit here. And I was kind of expecting, I will say, and this is maybe my bias showing that I went into this thinking the writing was going to be poor. And I was very pleasantly surprised at how strong it was and how immersed it it got me into the material so much faster than I thought it would. Yeah, although, Tanisha, there is always the risk with the kind of ornate writer, whether he's writing for stage or she's writing for screen, that, you know, and I think this is an Aaron Sorkin problem, Mr. McPants might disagree, that it sounds like the writer's talking to you at a certain point, and that's wrong, right? The character should be talking to you. And I do feel like Sheridan gets in that lane sometimes where I feel like, oh, here comes a really great Taylor Sheridan speech. And, and we don't want that on stage or on screen, right? Oh, Tanisha, yeah, that, that I- was for you, yeah. I uh, I actually think Taylor is the most effective in dialogue. I kind of hate that monologue we just listened to um, because for me it's it's trying it's so clearly not of the voice of that of that character for mm-hmm. me. Uh, it's trying to be poetic because it's in the mouth of an indigenous character, and that just feels. Um, off balance for me, but the dialogue to me sings. Uh, and I think that that's also true in 1883. I mean, the the poeticism of the way in which he handles sort of voiceovers and things when we move into that to that project is is really remarkable. But but I do think that sometimes there's an idea of a character and an idea of how they talk, and that is more informed than uh what's really happening inside of uh, of a character. And it's interesting because I know he's an actor first. So I'm curious if he's like, I'm an actor and therefore I don't want other actors to be involved <laughs> in, in the writing process or, or, or what that is. Because I feel like, you know, in the case of um, the character we just listened to, having that actor participate a little bit more in, in the ways in which, yes, there is a poeticism and there is... Um, uh, a lyricism and there is a lot of uh, imagery in the way in which a certain tribe may talk and also it just doesn't feel like it doesn't feel real to me. Mm. I, I love that you bring up the actor too. It makes me think of, you know, supposedly on the set of the very first Star Wars movie, uh, Harrison Ford looked up at George Lucas, looked up from the script at George Lucas and said, you know, George, we actually have to say this bleep. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And and I don't think he's going to be saying that to Taylor Sheridan, though. Maybe he will be. I I don't know. But I mean, he's got 5011 projects. So I think it's probably hard when he's the kind of master of the universe that he is Mm -hmm. to uh, collaborate in that way if that's not his Mm -hmm energy to begin with. All right. I'm getting the break sign from uh, from Mr. McPants, so we'll take a quick break here. We're going to come back. It'll be 1883 when we come back. So, you know, so <laughs> prepare yourself for smallpox. I don't know what to tell you about it, but it'll be different.
Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go Team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. I think cities have weakened us as a species. Mistakes have no consequences there. Step into the road without looking. And the carriage merely stops or swerves. The only consequence, an angry driver. But here, there can be no mistakes. Because here doesn't care. The river doesn't care if you can swim. The snake doesn't care how much you love your children. And the wolf has no interest in your dreams. If you fail to beat the current, you will drown. If you get too close, you will be bitten. If you are too weak, you will be eaten. All right, so begins each episode and also runs through every episode of 1883, that is Isabel May, the young Elsa Dutton. Uh, she does this kind of voiceover stuff uh, throughout the episodes. Um, she is very, very blonde and very idealistic, I think, to a certain point, uh, but also very fatalistic. Um, and 1883 also stars Sam Elliott and uh, LaMonica Garrett as two uh, kind of, I don't know, seasoned hands, uh, former soldiers who've kind of learned their way around the West and the High Plains. Uh, he, they are guiding a group of immigrants, German and Slavic, I think, uh, immigrants, uh, ideally from Texas all the way to the Pacific Northwest. Um, and uh, another big part of this is a, a married couple, the Duttons, played by Tim McGraw and Faith Hill, husband and wife in real life. So, Jim Chapterley, you're, you're the mayor of 1883. Um, so... So you like this, right? I did. I should say I did too. I do I, like, I, yeah, I really like this a lot. I, I liked it, and I think um, uh, hearing her voiceover, which at times for me d- doesn't work, but mm. overall, it's a visually beautiful series. I think you and I are kind of in the target demographic. We have the reference. Have grown up with with westerns um, as being sort of a standard form. Uh, certainly every time there was a snow day, there'd be a Western on or something like that. <laughs> so you have a, a library of this to draw upon. I think it would, what I think about it, it was really a smart uh, convention for him to deploy the voice of this uh, uh, really smart, capable, obviously like philosopher, uh, buddy philosopher, 18-year-old woman who's kind of seeing this very idealistically uh, instead of the, the the point of view of, say, Sam Elliott, who was great in it. Uh, so 
the, the difference between this show and all the other shows for me is I actually like a lot of the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, like, they're, they're, I'm, I, I can identify with them. I mean, I can also tell you categorically, I would never have gotten on one of these wagon <laughs> trips ever under any circumstances. Well, I would you, rather, you'd be one of the guys who, I, I was listening to the guys from The Watch, they were talking about 1883, and they said, you know, it makes Lonesome Dove look like a trip to Six Flags or something. is like so easy, really you know. Does. But but like here, they, they you know, Sam Elliott will go, oh, that wagon wheel broke. You're staying here. <laughs> right, right. You're not coming. Right. You're going to die in between. You're uh, going to die. Between right, Abilene and wherever the right. hell we're going. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so, yeah, I don't know. Rebecca, I, you're you're of the wrong generation um, to like this. I, I, I'm not Which is, sure. I think, how they self-identify, right? That's right. The wrong <laughs> yes. generation. So Very I don't know. much so. I don't think I even know your take about the series. Uh, this was my favorite of the three. Um, and you guys are completely correct. I have really no frame of reference for Westerns beyond, like, Westworld. Um, so this was very new. Though I, I do think this is a very interesting period in American history. Uh, you know, we've got the myth of manifest destiny at work here. I could not help but think about the Donner Party the whole time. I was waiting for them to start eating each other. It didn't happen. Um, but there's season two, so who knows? Um, but as a reformed horse girl, this was just like right up my alley. I really just loved Elsa. I did find the voiceover annoying at times and certainly felt it was more annoying in Mare and wish that maybe that wasn't as heavy handed. But again, Beautiful cinematography, great acting. The chemistry between Tim McGraw and Faith Hill is unbelievable. Like, I I don't even have words. It's just, like, palpable. So that's fantastic. And I just love Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. It's just fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was great. My only major complaint is that the scoring is so dramatic. It is just, I felt like I was watching Gladiator at times. I'm like, why is this music swelling? And it's just like an innocuous shot of them in the wagons. Like, it does not need to be at a 10 all the time. But besides that one little complaint, I did really enjoy it. And it's definitely, hands down, my favorite of the three. So And so, Tanisha, for you, not so much. So tell us why. Well, I, this was not a not so much this one, you know, I like them both equally. Yellowstone, 1883. I, I see myself, you know, I'm going to watch on Sunday. I'm going to keep watching 1883. Like, you know, you got me into the into the verse, you know, uh, despite <laughs> my own self-hatred about that. Uh, but, um, you know, Isabel May is like luminous, yeah. you know? She is like the perfect white girl like the 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 image of the american daughter like she is just you know all the things that i think you know america dreams that they're protecting you know and so you know i i'm fascinated by y'all's y'all's you know that this one rose above because you know in the in the beth Elsa scheme of it all it's like we like them when they're pure and and on the frontier and still pioneering we don't love them when they're broken and standing firm on their own it's kind of it's kind of my 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 hot take uh at the moment but 1883 is gorgeous of course uh as all of them are um yeah it, it's it ain't bad it, it, it ain't you know <laughs> All right, so the, I want you know. Can I, say, can I just say I, I actually like the Beth character more than the Elsa character. Uh, the Elsa yeah. character spoke to me the least of all of uh, all of the year eighteen 
Adrian, but I, I see the function that she plays in this. It, it's um, sort of weird. I, in fact, yeah, go ahead. I kept saying, like, why is her hair dyed blonde? Like, did they have that kind of <laughs> Oh, it's thing? so or, blonde. But, very blonde. But was that a thing there? I mean, did they have, like, Clairol or whatever it was? In, in you have to buy it from Rita Wilson. Uh, I think she's got a. She's got a she keeps it. With your she, whiskey punch. She, she, yeah, she keeps it behind the bar. So, so right, let me right. let me let me just. I want to play a clip here. Before I play the clip, I do want to say, in a way, as we're talking here, one thing that strikes me is they almost should have merged the sensibilities of these two series, and then they'd mm-hmm. maybe have something kind of interesting and kind of a game Game of Thronesy kind of way, in the sense that nobody in Yellowstone is really, as far as I can tell, the slightest bit interested interested in moral solutions to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas everybody in 1883 is kind of trying to figure out the right thing to do. They often come up with pretty draconian versions of the right thing. But in any case, let's hear uh, Tim McGraw as James Dutton, Sam Elliott as Shea Brennan, LaMonica Garrett as Thomas. This is B1 Cat. You're not moving a wagon across that. You take him east. Use a ferry at Denison. Denison's the wrong direction. We got to head west somewhere. May as well be here. West Texas is rough. It's all rough. How far west we gotta go to get a better crossing? You go on a ways. 100 miles or more. Where it runs shallow, it's boggy. Real boggy. Go head east. Use the ferry. You do what you want. I'm heading west. I said east. I don't give a what you said. I don't work for you. They won't make it. Country's too rough. No water. There's bandits in every canyon, and there ain't no wall around that reservation either. I ain't asking for your permission. I'm telling you my decision. My decision's west. You know, I don't think I've ever seen Sam Elliott act, act so Maybe I haven't seen enough Sam Elliott movies. To me, he's like at the beginning of The Big Lebowski, and he's at the end of Up in the Air. With, he gives George Clooney his pen, you know, and stuff. But he's really amazing in this. But, Jim, I, I think you should speak up right now for the acting chops of musicians. I mean, McGraw and Hill, as uh, Rebecca says, are great. I think Ryan Bingham is, like, really good in Yellowstone, too. Colin, <laughs> i got a lot to say about this. How many, uh, like, let's just have, a, like, a full confession, just round rub. How many people uh, on this panel for the the weeks to come expect to talk in their best Sam Elliott? I wore a damn, I, co- I wore a cowboy hat here today. I'm not joking. I have I wore a cowboy hat to the studio. Yeah, today. And I've grown a droopy mustache in about three days. So uh, he hasn't provided, you know, he really is a much better actor than I had any idea because he's a, usually a cartoon and the cartoon is turns out is what he plays here except he gets to play a real human being with like fairly profound uh moral positions and uh self-evaluation i mean he's sort of like it's like he's had modern therapy but he's a cowboy (laughs) right and and here he is uh pondering his own demise and and kind of can come out of that that angst to leave this one, but he really is a great actor in this. And uh, I will make a side note that you know Sam Elliott was almost uh, canceled recently, mm. and then did a fairly uh, um, sincere, I think, explanation of, of what that was and 
and somehow he didn't get canceled. Right. So, uh, oh, and I think it's good that he didn't. We, so he, we he, we need to make a transition here, but uh, because we're running out of time here. No and, way. And I need to tee this thing up for Tanisha. <clears throat> so, uh, Tanisha, stuff your message into a tennis ball and get ready to hit it over the fence here, <laughs> because, because we're, we're going to make it. Because wait, so Cat, we're going to play B three. This is the Mayor of Kingstown, our third Sheridan verse series. The Mayor <laughs> of Kingstown. You're going to hear Jeremy Renner with another VO. He's playing Mike McCluskey. We we can tell you a little bit more about Mike and his family after this. Every member of my family fights this fight in one way or another. And so does every family who calls Kingstown home. This is a company town, and the business is incarceration. Seven prisons in a 10-mile radius. 20,000 lost souls with no hope, no future. And I'm their link to a world that doesn't want them. On the life raft. I'm the mayor of Kingstown. All right, I'm going to just read Paramount's own synopsis because that'll be faster. Mayor of Kingstown follows the McCluskey family, power brokers in Kingstown, Michigan, where the business of incarceration is the only thriving industry. Tackling themes of systemic racism, corruption, and inequality. This no, I'm going to, I'm not going to read that. Uh, I mean, so the McCluskey family is—they have this weird job that I don't really know <laughs> actually exists anywhere, where they are effectively this conduit between the prisons and the outside world. They solve problems. They get messages back and forth. They actually manipulate the reality within the prison walls in a way that's fairly bizarre at times. Uh, Jeremy Renner plays Mike McCluskey. He's got the lead. Uh, Kyle Chandler is in this as his brother for a hot minute. Uh, and um, uh, Diane Wiest plays their long-suffering mother, but she doesn't seem to suffer much of anybody else except them. Uh, and, uh, and there's some other kind of interesting performances we even get in order to link this thing perfectly to the wire, which I think Tara, Taylor Sheridan is trying to make it do. Aiden Gillen uh, does come in uh, later in the series. But all right, Tanisha, uh, I, I put the pumpkin out on the porch and handed you the baseball bat. Uh, do whatever you, you need to do with this thing. No problem. So I'm going to actually uh, pluck at some some themes that you talked about. One, you when you talked about Yellowstone and you were like, you know, I'm I, it's got a cynicism to it that I feel like is absolutely right for late stage capitalism and what that show, I think, is trying to do. Mm. You've got 1883 and you, you talked about sort of this idealism of uh, and this in this this wide, expansive mythology, which is exactly the kind of America, right? Go West, young man. American individualism, our our need to strive beautifully, immaculately bound to the land without any strings attached. We, you know, as much as that is is real. Uh and that's 1883. And then we got mayor of Youngstown, which is doing the work of solidifying and calcifying the social strata as we understand it. And you hear it in that, like the voiceover that you, that we just heard is the beginning of the show. And that was the end for me. That was the beginning of the end. <laughs> oh, this is what we're doing. The answer is no, because it is, I, I have had the, the luck to, to know many people in this life, some who have spent time behind bars, some who have tried to 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 deal with families that are that are there, and this infrastructure is real. It's a part of the the sort of paid prison system that is also protecting quote unquote our borders. So I'm gonna like wrap myself up because I could go deep down this rabbit hole, but this 
project is dangerous and it's dangerous for people to love it and dangerous to people to sort of find entertainment inside of it because it's calcifying a way in which we uh, understand white power, black struggle, (laughs) sexuality, all the things. All right. I, unfortunately, because of time, I think you're each going to get one swing at the pumpkin. Uh, so, uh, Rebecca, you can go next. Sorry, guys. Uh, no, no, it wasn't no. your fault. It's just that we have too much ground to cover. I completely agree with Tanisha. This just made me very uncomfortable from the jump. I only got through two episodes, and that was a struggle. Um, I I struggled with, like, who is this for? Like, I understand the demographic for Yellowstone and that appeal. It might not necessarily be for me, but I get it. Like, I don't understand who would watch this show and be like, wow, I love this. This is fantastic. It's really speaking to me. Like, it's just very uncomfortable. And Jeremy Renner is about as interesting as a ham sandwich. And I really struggle to connect with anything he does. So it was not a great choice to have him anchor it either because he's just bland, bland, bland. All right. That was concise. Yeah, there you Uh, go. That's the tweet. And uh, yeah, Jim, how about you? First of all, I've never been so afraid in my life um, <laughs> as this moment. But I would say maybe because this show is so bleak and grim and nihilistic, um, I don't, I didn't really view it as entertainment so much as uh, or, or reality either. But showing the the, the corruption, uh, we know that when paid prisons move into a town, the town inevitably fails. Uh, we know that we're the most over-incarcerated population in the world. We have the highest percentage of people incarcerated in the world and the highest number of people incarcerated in the world. Um, there's any number of, of um, attempts right now being done to, used to undo that. But we also had an election where crime was front and center recently, and it didn't quite resonate with Americans the way it was thought it might maybe because the prison system is already maxed out three or four times. So the thing that I, I uh, was it allowed me to watch this was, uh, I don't have the same thing with Jeremy Renner. I'm not a huge fan, but I, I, I like him uh, uh, more than, say, Kevin Costner. I'm sorry to say that. Um, oh, that's a hot take, yeah, Jim. Yeah, yeah. So, so fight me after. Fight me. I'll, be yeah. out school. I'll be out in the yard. You can come for me. Um, so for me, it is unambiguously negative about all those structures. Uh, I don't find it, and, and it's also cliched. It's not a super nuanced show, uh, but it was. I found it like more compelling for me to watch that than the flatness of the characters in Yellowstone. Uh, if that helps. I, I, maybe I'm a dead man. Well, here, I'll put it, maybe I can put a target on my back too, although not really, but I, I will say, Tanisha, I sort of had your reaction to that opening VO and then some of the stuff that came after it. In fact, I tried to watch this a long time ago uh, and I just stopped. I stopped after 10 minutes or something. And then coming back to it this time, I got past that and then I realized, I mean, it really, I think, does attempt to get some of the vibe of The Wire and the way that David Simon writes. No uh, doubt. And, and, <clears throat> And I was very confused the first time I tried to watch The Wire. I, I watched the first episode and I said, I have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, and, you know, through this thing, like there's this letter. I was talking about the letter of the first episode. What is the letter? Tell me what the letter is. I don't know. What, is it, what are you talking about? Um, and and now that I've kind of gotten a little bit past that, I, I could conceivably stay with this thing. Although, and we're going to have to go to a break here so you guys can do some endorsements. But I do want to say, when Jeremy Renner 
because he's got this bear he's really interested. When he goes <gasps> and when he goes out goes and buys this hunting bow, I thought, I what is he going to do? Go hunting with Orlando Bloom in the second season? He's Hawkeye. I don't give him a bow. I mean, isn't that kind of yeah. on the nose? Or Kevin Costner as Robin Hood. Well, there you go. A lot of people. Anyway, we got to go to a break here. Well, thank you, first of all, to this panel. They really did extra service here, spelunking around in the Sheridan verse, and they've all got bullet wounds and, you know, all kinds of problems from this thing, but uh, they were very brave. Hi, I'm Ray Hartman. Season 3 of Where Art Thou is just around the corner. I'll be back on the road meeting incredible Connecticut artists. You'll hear their stories and we'll throw in a few surprises as well. Season 3 of Where Art Thou premieres June 9th on CPTV. For more, visit ctpublic.org WAT. Support provided by the Richard P. Garmini Fund at the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving, the State of Connecticut Office of Film, Television, and Digital Media, and Connecticut Humanities. All right, so we've been having a lot of fun uh, with Sheridan Verse, but now it's time to talk about things that our panelists love. This has been a great panel. So, uh, Tanisha Dugan, why don't you get us going? What are you going to recommend this week? Sure. I'm going to palate cleanse the TV. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it's just really dope to see sort of like regular Black folks trying to make uh, a way uh, without it having to be about being black or being any kind of special superhero or magical or anything like that. So Issa Rae's Rapture and HBO Max, I love. And it's getting towards Thanksgiving time. Y'all know I love a recipe and I love to cook. I'm actually going to endorse magazines at this time of year because they're great visual sort of starters and recipe finders, Better Home and Gardens is the one. It's an old school one. It's been around for a million years. But like, I feel like folks are getting back to their families and stuff and doing stuff. And so like, you know, a little analog magazine on the table to sort of zhuzh you. <laughs> uh, I, like an, I like analog magazine very much. That's a great, great, great endorsement in general. Thanks uh, so much, Tanisha. And Jim, they're also a great band. Uh, that's right. <laughs> Not as good as Raw Sewage <laughs> in the Basement, though. Uh, all right, right. Uh, Jim Chapelain, <laughs> what are you going to endorse? Well, because I have been uh, consumed with both the watching the Taylor verse and raw sewage in the basement. Uh, I'm going to endorse Steve's drain service, uh, <laughs> which came and I mean, I'm not kidding you, man. Steve will show up at your time of need. You know, uh, uh, he's, he's like the good Lord. He's not always there when you want him, but he's there when you need him. Yeah. So, uh, he showed up for me and, uh, and he helped me, uh, uh resolve the problem. Did he, uh, did he look like rip at all? Did he, did he have like, you know, black cowboy hat that say, is it okay if I put a body down here? <laughs> I, you know, it's reasonable, but he did have a mysterious brand on his chest. I couldn't <laughs> quite see what it was. Um, secondly, because I, I, who wants to cook during something like that? Uh, I'll go back to Harry's uh, uh, pizza at Bishop's Corner with a specific pizza for the season, which is potato, cheddar cheese. All you pineapple freaks can come at me. Uh, but I can't get enough of this particular pizza. And I know these are two sort of um, odd endorsements, right. but 
and, when and not un, not unrelated to one another. Uh, no, no. It's sort of the it, the, the it alpha. Speaks to my authentic self. I'm yeah. just trying to live right. my best. Self. The alpha and the omega is the pizza right. and the raw sewage. All right, so um, so <laughs> Rebecca Castellani, <laughs> top that is what I say to you, Rebecca. Well, like everybody else, because I've been so immersed in the Taylor Sheridan universe, I too have not been like watching or reading anything new since I was last on this show. So I'm digging deep here, and my two endorsements are the first is uh very strange for me, but I don't sleep very well. I don't know about anyone else here, but I'm just not a great sleeper. It's been something that's my nemesis my whole life. And I recently this summer got into sleep masks and not all sleep masks are created equal, I've learned. So the one that has just been a real game changer for helping me fall asleep faster and more importantly, keeping me asleep through the night is the Manta sleep mask. It's got these crazy little like eye cups that block out all light. You look simply insane wearing it. But I've had better sleep over the last two months than I really have probably my whole 30 years on this planet. Um, so Manta Sleep Mask for my fellow insomniacs. And then my second one is a cheese because one in doubt endorsed cheese. And this is specifically a marinated sheep and goat's cheese that I've just been obsessed with for the last couple of months. It's by Meredith Dairy. It's in this like silky oil that's just fantastic for dipping bread in. It spreads really nicely. It's great on top of roasted vegetables. Would be a great accoutrement to your Thanksgiving table. So go ahead and check out Meredith Dairy at your local cheese store, your monger of sorts, and uh, dive in because it's delish. Okay, you, know, you might want to consider that there's Adderall in that cheese, <laughs> yeah, that's right. and that oh, might is that be why it's so good. Self-feeding cycle, yeah, yeah, that's what's that's what's happening to your sleep, yeah. right there. So, um, <laughs> in honor of Mayor of Kingstown, if that's the right way to put it, um, I'm going to endorse another sort of prison-themed thing called Inside Man. It's it's a black comedy. Uh, it stars, oh, it's great. Yeah, it stars uh, T- Stanley Tucci, David Tennant, uh, and Dolly Wells, and a remarkable performance by a young man named Atkins Estemond, yeah. uh, who plays Dylan, who almost steals every scene with Mm -hmm. Stanley Tucci. Think about that. Uh, But it's it's not to be taken particularly seriously, but uh, and I won't say anything more about it, I think. Just investigate it. I think it's on Netflix. And then I think Jim and I would both say, you know, if you've never seen Lonesome Dove, and I don't know where it is now, whether we stream it or buy it or whatever, but it's it's really good in a certain way. I'm sure the people who made Lonesome Dove watch 1883 and go, where does he get all that money? Right. <laughs> he has so much money. Right. He he referenced uh, Lonesome Dove a lot yeah. in a lot of his pre-interview right. stuff, but, uh, and he should. But it, there's a poetry to it, and, and I do think, obviously, uh, you know, you'll never forget those two leads. Uh, and you know they are they are completely amazing these two Texas Rangers. So um, so they, yeah that's it. We have, that's all we have time for. Uh, we have to go. Thanks to this wonderful panel. They really did kind of extra duty this week. Waterberry, Oliveberry, Woodberry, hitting on New Britain, Vernon. I already said that one. Avon, Farmington. Yeah 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 yeah.